called Supernatural. For those who don't know me, my name is Ash. I'm the youth and kids pastor here at this church. Yes, my parents are Pastor Ian and Sharon Murphy, uh, the pastors that are here, but um, that pastor here are senior pastors, but they're just not here today. So I'm in charge. <laughs> oh, no, it's kidding. Uh, but yeah, so our series is Supernatural. Thank you, Ben. Um, you can take your seats. And I have the privilege and honour of introducing this series um, to you. So let's get pumped to get into it. Um, for all the kids leaders out there, when we hear the word supernatural, we think uh, supernatural, supernatural, God, all things are possible. Now I'm not going to do the rest, but uh, look, for all the kids church kids were here, they join in, it'd be great. Uh, that's what I think of straight away. But we're going to go to the definition of the word supernatural. Um, there used to be like a TV series. There's a lot of supernatural stuff. I think our wor- world is very much craving um, the supernatural. We see it in all these things that have become super popular, you know, like the vampire stuff and like the horror movies, but like the real spooky supernatural kind of weird ones. People are obsessed with like ghosts and aliens and um all kinds of things like that. And so I think it's a very real, um, a real desire in, in the hearts of, of people to, to experience the supernatural. But we're going to just talk about what that is first. And the definition of supernatural is of or relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. Departing from what is usual or normal, especially so as to appear to transcend the laws of nature or caused by forces that cannot be explained by science. I love that definition because we live in a world that's like, hmm, the science, the science, follow the science. Um, And it's just messed up anyways. But like, I love that it's something outside of people's ability to comprehend and understand because that's actually who God is. If God can fit into your understanding, then He's not God. He's a creation of your own minds because God, if God is to be God, He has to be outside of your understanding and comprehension because He is so much bigger than you. He is so much greater than you. The Bible tells us that His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So He is is supernatural. He is outside of our understanding and comprehension and out of what we can see. Um, so uh, I always keep, I always do this. I always jump ahead of my notes and then I get lost because I'm like, oh, I've already said all of this. Um, so <laughs> I love um, in the movie, uh, in I uh, watch all the Narnia series over um, Easter time. I'm a big Narnia fan, love C.S. Lewis. But I was watching um, the movie Prince Caspian and I think it's one of the most underrated Narnia films. A lot of people, that was the one that kind of bombed um, at the box office. But uh, I was like, no, this movie is incredible because what I love about it is an incredible demonstration of, of the world today. Like the Telmarines are the representation of this atheistic uh, mindset that's come into our world of there is no God, I'm my own ruler. Um, there's all this corruption in the world and and they don't believe in the Narnians. They don't believe Narnians exist. And the Narnians are basically a representation of the spiritual um, realm in this story. And they don't believe in any of that. And so they live their own way. And then there's this whole thing where suddenly they start to realise that they're real. And then there's this battle and, oh, it's awesome. But there's this one part um, in the movie that um, Aslan says to Lucy, like Lucy comes and sees Aslan and says, wow, like Aslan, you've grown. You've grown since the last time I seen you. And Aslan says to Lucy, for every year you grow, I grow. 
And I thought on that and I was like, wow, because Aslan's supposed to be the representation of Jesus in the story. And I think that's so true is that as believers, when we grow in our faith, God doesn't become smaller and more containable. God actually becomes bigger because we get a greater understanding of how much we do not know. We get a greater understanding of how much God is outside of our understanding. And so every time, every not necessarily every year you grow because you can be an immature Christian for your entire life, but every when you grow in spiritual maturity, God only gets bigger because you can begin to understand even more that there is less that you know and can comprehend. So we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 13. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand." So what does the Bible tell us? Are we in a physical battle? No, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And what's crazy is ancient civilization. everyone seemed to understand that there was a spiritual realm. Everyone, it was a common thing for people to have a religion and a God and a belief, even if it wasn't the one true God. But we actually live in a society that, who rather than submit to a higher power, have denied the existence of God to become their own God. They want to stay in the physical realm in their own understanding and become their own God. And this makes them blind and asleep to the spiritual reality of what is going on around us every single day. We are not mere flesh. We are soul, spirit and body. And so the spiritual, the supernatural is truly the most real part of our life and our existence. Because one day we actually leave this body. This is the shortest part of our life is living in the flesh. But one day we actually leave our body to be with God or, well, it depends what choice you make here on earth. I had my first experience of God and the supernatural um, is actually my earliest memory of, of my childhood. And I was three years old and I was asleep at night and I was awakened to find this dark figure sitting on the end of my bed with these red eyes looking at me. And as you would, I freaked the heck out and I was like, ah, dad, 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 like probably much more high pitched, dad, dad, um, you know, come, come and get help, help, help. And that night I learned the most valuable lesson of my life is my, my earthly father, my dad, Pastor Ian came running in to my room and he's like, what's going on? And I said, you know, like, this is what I can see, I can see it. And he can't, couldn't see it, but I could see it. And he's like, okay, well, this is what you need to do is if you, when you see this thing, we're going to pray together. And, God, and Dad prayed with me. He said, if it comes back, I want you to say to it, go away in the name of Jesus. Keep it simple for kids. Um, go away in the name of Jesus. And that was the most valuable lesson that I learned was not just to cry out to my earthly father, but to learn how to cry out to my heavenly father and to seek his power and strength. And what was funny is the next morning, my dad came to me and he said, so did that come back? Did that thing come back? And I said, yeah. And he's like, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you tell me? And I said, because I did what you told me to do. I said, go away in Jesus' name. And it went. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was good. 
Because there is power in the name of Jesus. And this is something that my parents taught me from a young age is the name of Jesus has great power. The name of Jesus has the power to overcome. So when anything tries to come against you, you call on the name of Jesus. Like we sing in that song, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Because the name of Jesus is the name above every other name. The name of Jesus is the name of the Son of God. who died on the cross and rose again, He defeated death and won the victory. That name signifies to the enemy that their time is coming to an end, that they're gonna meet their demise. That name is a scary name that makes the enemy tremble because of the great power in the name of Jesus, the King above all kings. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have to remember that because we can get so frustrated in the physical and looking at what we see materially in front of us and in politics and all these things. I'm not saying don't get involved in the fight. I'm 100% involved in those fights. But we've got to remember it's a spiritual battle. So our most powerful weapon is the name of Jesus. Our most powerful weapon in the fight is going to a place of prayer, which I'll talk about later. We've got to realise that God has given us every power against the enemy, everything we need to overcome to win this battle. It says about putting on the full armour of God. He's given you everything you need. But the problem for many believers is they treat their faith like a ritual. They treat their faith like a tradition. You know, this is the problem with the Pharisees. They did all the right things by the letter of the law, technically speaking, but they had no relationship. It was a dead faith. It was a dead religion because it was just a practice for them. They were so blinded by doing these works that they didn't see Jesus when He was right in front of them. They could not accept that He was the Messiah. They treated their faith as a practice and a set of rules to follow. There is no power in religious practice, in tradition and in doing these things. There can be, but there's no power in that without God in it. We cannot live our Christian faith as a merely physical practice. You know, we even saw that last night. I don't know about anyone here, but I stayed up to watch the coronation last night and it was so interesting. I was just like, this is going to be juicy. Like, I want to see what's going on here. And I thought it was so interesting because this whole ceremony is actually supposed to be about the King representing God in the earth. You know, he's got this responsibility to come under the authority of God. And that's why they have all these rituals and the different things that represent, you know, the little ball thing he holds and the scepter thing and the sword thing. And and all of it, if you hear everything that he was given and put on him, they were talking about a responsibility under God that he was given to serve the people and to protect the people, you know, under the name of God. And so that was the whole thing. But we know from seeing the way the royals actually live, the royal family is chaos. Like, I mean, Prince, I mean, he's now King Charles the third, whatever he is. Um, you know, he's had his fair amount of scandal in his life and I'm not saying no one can be redeemed, but it was just interesting watching that because you know that it was just a ceremony because if it was truly about honouring God, why would you have Muslims and Hindus and all this involved in a ceremony that was actually supposed to be about honouring God, honouring the one true God? It was more about... This, you know, everyone's religion, you know, is, the, is all one God, always lead to God and all this. It was just about ceremony. It was just about show. There was no life in it. 
And even if the, I'm not saying anything about the priest or anything, I don't know their personal relationship, but I'm saying the ceremony itself um, and, and the way that happened, um, all of that, you know, you could just, you could just tell. It, it doesn't matter if it doesn't actually mean anything. And, and we can see that in evidence in their life when they spent, I think they estimated like a hundred million or more dollars on this ceremony. But I thought it was so ironic when they said this and then they were talking about the cost of living crisis in the UK and how people couldn't afford heating. And at the same time, they're putting a sword on the king and saying to the king, you know, this is so you can protect and serve the people. You came not to be served, but to serve. And I said, well, it looks right now that he's just being served because that $100 million could have been spent on your country and on your people who are suffering. So it's not it's dead religion. It's dead religion because there's no... There's no God in it. It's just a, just a whole bunch of things and missing the whole point. We can't be a bunch of religious rituals. Religious rituals, that was a tongue twister. You have to be alive in your spirit. And in Romans 8 verse 12 to 17, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We don't follow a dead religion. We serve a living God. We serve a living God. When we receive Christ, we enter the Kingdom of Heaven. We become heirs. It says we become joint heirs with Christ. We have a spiritual inheritance. So what Jesus has, then we also have. Isn't that wild? But some of us just live like we're peasants, you know, just tilling the land outside the kingdom. But we actually get to come in to the kingdom and have a spiritual inheritance. We get to have what Jesus has. How cool is that? We don't get that by living in the flesh. We get that by living in the spirit. The flesh leads us to death, it says, but living in the spirit leads to life. And it's the Spirit that gives life. We are called to die to our flesh so we can become alive in Christ and alive in our spirit. I love what C.S. Lewis um, says about spirituality in this book, Mere Christianity. Would 100% recommend it. I know everyone's from, at least from my youth team have heard me lately. Every single book I read, I like would 100% recommend it. And I put it in every sermon, like, you know, because I'm just like so obsessed. Like I've just read some really good books lately, okay? Um, but C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, we'll just um, recommend reading it if you haven't already. And if you have, just read it again. But there's this great quote in there and he says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger where there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim where there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. 
I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others to do the same. I love that. If there is nothing in this world that can satisfy that desire that I have, then I must conclude that I was not made for this world. And, and that is exactly, we're pressing on to our true country. We've got to live by the Spirit and satisfy the desires of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us because we're not made for this world. So if we're living for this world, then we'll only, it will only lead us to death. We will never be satisfied. But if we live for the Spirit, that will mean we will, will be deprived of some earthly pleasures, we will be deprived of the lusts of the flesh. But who cares when we get to inherit the gift of eternal life? You know, we live in a religious world. There's a God, um, we live in a religious world and I'll say this, I'll explain it in a second. But there's a God-shaped hole on the inside of every single one of us looking to be filled. Our spirit craves spiritual things. Like, like C.S. Lewis said, there's a desire inside of us that just cannot be satisfied with material things. And we read about this in Romans 1 verse 18 to 25. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Isn't that interesting? What may be known of God, it's not like, you know, you may never have heard the name of Jesus, but there is a desire on the inside of you that there is something more to this life, that there is a God and there's a craving and a searching on the inside of you to fill that void. What may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Can I just say, like, I, I, I love this part about how everyone goes, oh, you know, ha, 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 you serve this invisible God. And I said, like, you look around you. You look around you. Everything in this life, like the mountains, the waterfalls, the animals, all these things, just looking at yourself and the fact that your hand moves and you're not even consciously thinking, like, about every single thing that happens to you, like, that's incredible. That's amazing. God is clearly seen. And, and the atheists that laugh at you for that, I laugh back at them and I say, well, you've got far more faith than me, man, because you think that all of this happens by accident. Like, you think all of this happened by accident? Like, that's a lot of faith. Like, props to you, because I don't have that much faith. I don't have that much faith. It can be clearly seen that there is a designer. There is a creator. And they're without excuse, it says. Verse 21, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonour their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So interesting, worshipping the creature rather than the Creator. We see that in our world. You know, there was a, um, a census uh, in, the, in the 2021 census um, for Australia, 38.9% of people um, identified as having no religion. 38.9% um, of Australians identified as having no religion. But what's interesting is a survey done in the same year identified that it was only 22% of people who considered themselves not at all spiritual. 
Isn't that interesting? So even though 38.9% of Australians subscribe to no religion, approximately 73% of Australians consider themselves spiritual. And even of those people that identified with a religion, a lot of them were not practising. So there, a lot of people are going, oh yeah, I believe some kind of God and I'm spiritual. I believe in some kind of spiritual world, but I don't subscribe to any religion, to any one God. And I 100% believe this because, you know, we, we are spiritual beings. We crave the supernatural. We crave, um, you know, that thing to fill that void inside of us. And we see that in our world at the moment. There's, there's such a rise in spiritualism. We see, you know, saging. I don't know if anyone's seen that's a big thing at the moment. A lot of, a lot of uh, I would say millennials probably um, are, are doing saging. Meditation has come back as a big thing. Crystals and like having, I had friends at my old work who used to go to this, uh, I don't even know what you would call the shop, but like one of those shops that have all the, that kind of stuff. And they had these crystals and they would change their crystal in their necklace every day according to what they wanted to feel or like what kind of blessing or something they wanted to have. Um, affirmations, manifesting, I'm going to manifest, speak it into the universe. Um, tarot cards are huge. Palm reading has come back, all this kind of stuff. I love for horror films, but specifically supernatural ones. I've noticed it's huge. Um, witchcraft is majorly on the rise, especially in young females. Very interesting. Witchcraft is majorly on the rise. And even we look at the LGBTQHIJKLMNOP community, that has gone from just, you know, I identify as this, that and the other to becoming this movement, this like cult-like activity. And we know it's like a, become a cult because there's people who like, for example, there's a lot of stories of detransitioners and the moment they detransition, they get exiled from the community and the people who they thought were their friends are like, nope, nope, shut up, stop talking about it. No, nah, we don't want to hear your story, all that kind of thing. This whole movement and it has to be, it's a cult because it's not just, oh, we could all have our own opinions. It's you must have our opinion and no other opinion. So we're seeing all different kinds of ways that this desire, um, even modern feminism, that's a whole nother, that's basically a cult in itself as well. There are all kinds of ways that people are trying to fill this void, even Satanism. Satanism's on the rise. Um, it's very, very interesting. And there's many ways to play God in your life. And I think a lot of people go for these things because like I can have a bit of spiritualism, but I can do it my way. I can, I can identify how it works for me. I can have that sort of supernatural experience. Oh, sorry, I meant to mention as well drugs, um, particularly hallucinogenic drugs. I know there's this thing where people go over to, I think it's in Africa and there's like, it's a weird like whole clinical setup and they take these hallucinogenic drugs and then basically they go into this like coma for like 24 hours or a long time and then they see all these like demonic stuff and it's crazy um but there's lots of this stuff people are craving it they're seeking something spiritual but they want to play God in their life so they just want what they want and what they desire and what fits into their life and what benefits them rather than submitting to the one true God but Jesus said in John 14 verse 6 that I am the way the truth and the life and no one can come to the father except through me 
There is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life. Everything else is a counterfeit. Everything else supernatural. I still believe that is those things are supernatural. It's just on the wrong side. You know, we do have good and evil. We have light and dark. And, and everyone is craving these things, but there is only one way to life. These counterfeits will not give you life. These counterfeits do not bring life. They're, they do not bring you to God. There is only one way to God. There's not multiple ways. There's only one way, one God, one true power. And we see this in the book um, of Acts as well. I love this story is that there's this town of people that have this revelation of, of Jesus Christ. And it says that for those that also many of those who'd practised magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I think that's crazy. Like when they realised that, that Jesus was actually real, they had a revelation of God, they gave up all of that other stuff. Because Jesus is the only way. That magic stuff, that, those tarot cards, those, all the different ways that we try to fill the void, they will not satisfy. They will not satisfy. And, and all of that stuff has real spirit attached to it. There's plenty of stuff you can see. I've, there's a lot of stories of people now as well coming out of witchcraft and coming out of these new age beliefs and stuff that is sharing their testimonies about finding Jesus and, and, and revealing the reality of what's on the other side, that there is really spirit attached to it. And, you know, it's not this nice thing that we should play with, but um, there is a spiritual reality. But this is the thing is when they realise they had a revelation of Jesus Christ, they let go of those things. And I just want to encourage the church in that because I think a lot of times we go, oh, these people are happy. No, if they don't have Jesus, they don't have life. So they need that life. You know, they could put on a facade. And I know listening to a lot of these um, people that were these new age gurus and stuff, they said, that's exactly what I did. They said, I put on a facade to all of my clients that come in and I tell their fortunes and stuff or, uh, you know, all this stuff that I did. There was one of them that turned and she was like the number one new age person. She's got books out there. Um, she was like, had millions of dollars and she gave it all up um, to follow Jesus because she said it was just like all the success in the world, all that, it was just a lie. She said, I was living a lie and, and, and I wanted to know the truth and I found Jesus. And so I gave it up and I thought that's awesome. But people are desperate. They can look like they're successful and have all the money and the fame in the world, but they need Jesus. If they don't have Jesus, they have no life. And people are craving that life. They're craving what is true and what is real. Only Jesus can fill that void. Only Jesus can save, restore, heal, redeem, give us forgiveness and eternal life. We cannot live dull, ritualistic, religious lives. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to be alive in our spirit. We need our eyes to be opened to see this world as not merely material and physical, but that there is a spiritual battle raging around us every day. There is good and evil, light and dark. There is no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. If you are not for God, then you are against God. That's literally it. If you are not for Jesus, you are against Him. Even if you're like, yeah, but I don't subscribe to a team. Okay, then you're against God. If you are not for Him, there is no neutral ground. We live for Jesus wholeheartedly, sold out. That's what we're called to do as believers. And it starts with opening our eyes. So many believers go through their life just showing up to church and that's kind of it. Or saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, 
cool. But they don't practice their faith in their everyday life. They don't have that real revelation and understanding of the spiritual reality. They just walk in the flesh. Like we're talking about with the coronation, all that stuff. Okay, I'm just going to do the practices, do the things. You might read your Bible every day, but you could still be missing the point. Because you're just reading it as a rhythm. You're reading it as a, a, just a thing going through the motions. I'm just showing up to church because that's just what Christians do. Rather than having an alive, being alive in your spirit and having a true connection and relationship with God and actually living in that way. If you had a revelation, if you had your eyes open to see God truly as He is, that would change your whole life, the whole way you live. And we see that in 2 Kings verse, um, 6 verse 12 to 17. There's this time with Elisha, the prophet, and I love Elisha and Elijah. They just got this like so, their stories are just so intense. Like they've got the most like intense relationship with God. Like they just, you know, they're just so faith-filled um, kind of people and they just live that life, you know, walking in the Spirit and, um, you know, li- living for God and not worrying about what's going on around them. They get themselves into a lot of difficult situations because of that, but they're like, eh. God's on my side, you know, and you'll see it all throughout their life. It's amazing. But there's this part here in 2 Kings um, 6 verse, uh, oh, sorry, starting in verse 14. Um, they, they get in a bit of trouble and there's an army that comes after Elisha. And it says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So this is where Elisha is um, with one of, the, one of his helpers. And it says, And, then the, and the, when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I think we're all on the side of the servant. Um, can you imagine if like the army showed up and just surrounded the church building? But it's not even that the whole congregation was here. It was just like two of us. And we're like, um, what are we going to do now? And I'm talking like, they said an army with the chariots and everything. So we're talking like tanks, like surrounded with like all the soldiers. You got the tanks out and you're like, okay, so um, I'd just be like walking out, hands up. All right, we're done. That's it. But Elijah just goes, I mean, Elisha, sorry. He's not faced. He just goes, don't fear. Don't worry about it. Don't fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I imagine the servant's going, one, two. It's not, the math is not mathing. Um, <laughs> one, two. Um, do not fear, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Because Elisha's not looking in the eyes of the physical, he's looking in the eyes of the supernatural. It says, and the Lord opened the eyes. And, and then he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. How cool is that? The armies of heaven were greater, were, were the armies of heaven that was with Elisha, those who were on Elisha's side, than those that he could see in the natural. My prayer for you is that your eyes would be open, that you would see the supernatural, that you would not just walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfil the lust of the flesh, the Bible says. This is how we need to pray, church. We need to pray knowing that the armies of heaven are behind us, that the God most powerful, it's as if God is for us, who could be against us. It makes sense because who can be against God? Like He is the greatest. He's high above everything. He's outside of time and space. If God is on your side, who cares who's against you? If God is for us, who can possibly be against us? And that is how we need to pray. Done is the time for wimpy prayers. I can't get over when people just like, dear Heavenly Father, 
we pray today that I'm like, do you know who you're praying to? Like, do you know? We just ask, we plead, we hope. I can't stand that when people say, I hope in a prayer. I'm like, no, like, like, give it some oomph. Like, we declare, we believe. God, we're going to speak your promises. We know, I know that you are good, God. I know that you can do this. You know, we're going to speak with, you know, and, and it's just always, you know, and we just please, thank you, amen. I'm like, where's the power in that? Do you know who you're praying to? And I'm not saying you have to be loud and outrageous, you know, like personality like myself. But I'm saying, have a bit of enthusiasm behind it. Have a bit of faith behind it. You know, really believe who you're praying to. I know prayer is sometimes hard because as Jesus said, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer can sometimes be hard, but we've got to switch on. We've got to turn on our spirit and start to see with the eyes of faith. Does it see in the supernatural who is on our side, who we are praying to, who we are putting our faith in? We've got to pray with power. We've got to pray knowing that the army of heaven is behind us. Like James 5.16 says that the effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Or in other versions, it's powerful and effective. Oh, prayer is so powerful. And I could tell you a million stories, but I'll just share one or two. One of these, um, you know, with the power of prayer, uh, with our natural eyes, that's what we've got to be careful. We can be so discouraged with what we see here. We can be so discouraged. We have to go to God in faith and we have to see the unseen. I know for myself growing up, my, my prayer was that my grandpa would meet Jesus, would know Jesus, my, my dad's dad. And I know my dad came to Christ when he was 21 um, and he, his prayer since he was 21 was for his dad to come to know Jesus. And so then I know myself and my siblings and my mom. we're all praying. We're the only believers on, on dad's side of the family. We were... Um, you know, praying for our um, grampy to come to know Jesus. And it was a constant thing. And we prayed together as a family and we prayed together in my own life. I've got a little like prayer journal from when I was like seven or eight or nine. And it's got all these prayers constantly. I pray for grampy. I pray for grampy, you know, that he'll come to know Jesus. And it was this constant thing. And it can be so discouraging when you see with your eyes and you see in the natural that no, it looks like nothing has happened, nothing has moved. And I know for me, I was like, no, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying. And I used to pray and I'd write that like, you know, I'm going to see Grampy in heaven one day. I'm going to, he's going to know Jesus. And what happened is I remember when I was 16 years old, um, we had a prayer meeting at church. And I remember Millie came up to me in the prayer meeting and she's like, I just feel like I really needed to pray for you because something's like, you know, something's going on in your life. Something's not quite right. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. Like, I'm, I'm living my best life. Things go great. She's like, oh, okay, that's weird. Like, I don't know. I just says this is something not quite right. I'm going to pray for you. And so I was like, okay, like, go ahead. Like, pray for me, whatever. Anyways, get home from prayer meeting that night. We had a missed call on our phone. And the missed call was from our auntie saying um, that our grandpa was in hospital and he was in a really bad way. And we're like, oh. Okay, so my dad and my mum were like, okay, we'll go visit him tomorrow. So that was a Thursday. So they went to go visit him and um, in the hospital. We weren't sure how serious. So they were like, oh, you know, like people go to hospital. That's just, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's like super, super bad. Um, and then they came to us that Thursday. And I remember we were here at church because um, we're pastor's kids. So we come to church all the time. Um, so we were after school at church. And... Um, and my parents came up to us and they said, hey, like, we need to let you know, um, we're going to take you to go see Grampy tomorrow because we don't think he's got long left. Um, and we're like, oh, I'll snap. 
And I just remember immediately as soon as I heard that, I ran to the disabled toilets in there and I just got down like on my knees. It was disgusting because you think how disgusting that floor is. But, you know, you just got to do it when you're desperate. And I just remember flat on my face and I just started praying. And I was like, and I was just, I wet the floor with my tears. I was like, God, I like, I'm praying for my grandpa. Like, he's going to meet Jesus. He is not leaving this earth. I just started to declare it. He will not leave this earth without receiving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. I will see him in heaven. I thank you, God, that you are saving my grandpa. I thank you, God, that you will meet him there in his hospital bed. I thank you, God, that you are faithful. I believe. And I just kept praying and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I know my family was doing the same. And I came out of the bathroom just, it's just a long time in the bathroom, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. Um, <laughs> um, but I remember that night um, we went to bed and we were going to prepare to go to see our grandpa the next day um, on the Friday. And I got woken up at 2am on the Friday morning and mum said, dad's just left to go to the hospital. They don't think He's going to make it through um, to the morning. And I was like, oh no. So then I got down again on my knees, 2 a.m. in the morning on the floor of my bed, wet the carpet, praying, God, like, you know, I believe, I believe. I know, no, my mum was praying and I know my whole family was praying and I know my dad was praying. And my dad got to um, sit with him in the hospital and he wasn't um, conscious, like, I think he would hear him, but like, he couldn't sit up, open his eyes, anything, respond. But I know my dad was just praying over him in that hospital room and, and then he passed away that morning. And the next day um, we had youth camp and, uh, and we, you know, obviously we were very upset and sad. And, but I was like, okay, you know, we're just believing that God answered our prayers. And um, we went to um, youth camp that night. And we had this worship time, or, or, uh, actually no, it was on the Saturday after that, um, we had a worship time and, um, and we were just like singing this worship song um, about heaven and about God and, and then all of a sudden like people just started to cry in the room and the, whole, the presence of God just came in and it was just, it was one of the wildest moments ever. Like we were in a, in a um, caravan park and we were in one of those communal rooms and we just decided to take it up. So people tried to cover the room. They see all the wiggles, windows flogged up, all these kids lying out and the Holy Spirit on the floor. <laughs> and people crying and praying. They're like, and we had these people walking and they're like, close the door and <laughs> walked out again. But we had this moment and in that moment, my younger sister came to me and she said, I saw Grampy and I said, what do you mean? I saw him in heaven and he was young again and he was, you know, running around in heaven. We're going to see him again. And I was like, wow, that's just so amazing, you know, and I really believe that because my dad came and he said he saw the exact same thing. And that's just like the power of prayer. That's just one person. I know we did the same kind of prayer for my, my granddad and even with a brain tumour on, um, on his deathbed, he was able to, to recognise, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus and finally it clicked for him in that moment. That is the power of prayer. It's not wishful thinking. It's about calling upon the name of Jesus, the King of all kings, the Lord above all lords. God is not confined to the natural. The most stubborn of humans can be moved by the hand of God. And we see that in the life of um, Saul to Paul conversion. You know, we believe that God can do great things, but it starts by seeing with the eyes of faith, seeing in the supernatural. I pictured my grandpa in heaven. I believed that he would come to faith. And I know that everyone around him did. I know that many of you in this place are a product of prayers. You are here because I'm here because I had a faithful 
faithful praying parents. I know my mum said that she didn't want to be a pastor. Her prayer to God for a bunch of her life was, I don't want to be a pastor. Never make me a pastor. Because her experience of that growing up was that two, I think it was two of the pastor's kids she knew committed suicide. And so she's like, I never want that to happen to my kids. And I remember she just pray and pray and pray. And God's like, don't worry, you know, that's not going to happen to your children. And my parents prayed over us every single night. We just pray the blood of Jesus over them. We pray for His protection and covering. And, and I even know I faced this situation in my life where I wanted to take my own life. But I believe because of the prayers, the powerful prayers of righteous people, my parents praying over my life, that I was saved from that moment. And I believe that I'm here in this church today when I've seen many of my friends that started off in the faith and are no longer here because I had powerful praying parents behind me who saw with the eyes of faith and believe for me. And I believe that your prayers are powerful. I believe that your prayers are powerful and you've got to believe that too. The powerful prayers. And I just want to also say for the grandparents out there, prayer is so powerful. I want you to see your grandchildren and your children with the eyes of faith. I want you to see them in the house of God. Can I tell you, being a youth pastor for the last 10 years, um, I've seen so many young people come into the house of God, not because their parents were believers, but because they had praying grandparents. They're praying grandparents. Their parents, their own parents are atheistic. Their own parents have said, we don't like God. We don't want you going to church. But they're praying grandparents who kept praying for them. And we see them come to Jesus. Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful. Do not underestimate it, but stop seeing in the natural. Stop seeing in the physical and being discouraged by what you see, but see with the eyes of faith. See with the eyes of faith. Pray like you know who your God actually is and you know the power that He actually has to overcome every strategy of the enemy, every attack of the enemy. I just want to say this morning as well to Sonia, I hope you don't mind, but I just really believe your prayers. God hears your prayers. You know, the the powerful prayers of a mother who loves her kids. And you're going to see your two sons back here in the house. You're going to see them come to Jesus. And I 100% believe that. God hears your prayers. And He's not finished with them yet. So I just want to give you an opportunity. We're going to come together and we're going to pray some powerful prayers this morning. But I just want to give everyone this place an opportunity if you don't know Jesus to come to have a relationship with Him this morning. So if that's you, I, well, I just want everyone in this place just to close your eyes, just to give people around this room a bit of privacy, just to have a little bit of contemplation, a bit of reflection moment. But I just want to ask right now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, are you following some false religion? Are you being your own God? Are you walking some other way? Or are you actually in a relationship with the one and true God? Maybe you've grown up in church or you've been coming to church, all that, but your faith is dead because you just do it out of habit and going through the motions, but you have no real relationship with God. If any of that is you, you want a relationship with Jesus today, one that is real, one that is alive. You want to be alive in the Spirit and dead to the flesh. You want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and receive that awesome gift, salvation He gave us. Then I just encourage you just to lift your hand in this place and love to pray with you. Awesome, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Amazing. So we're just going to pray together at church. We're going to support our friend who lifted their hand to receive Jesus. Such an amazing decision. So just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I thank You that You love me. 
Thank You that You love me so much that You gave Your life for me. I believe that You died on the cross for all of my sin. And I believe that You rose again to give me eternal life. I ask You today to come into my life, to be my Lord, which means I'll follow You, and to be my Saviour, which means I'm set free. I thank You, Jesus, that today I am saved. Amen. Awesome. So if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer this morning, you know, Jesus comes straight into your life. And that doesn't stop there. We're not about making converts. We're about making disciples, people who actually have a relationship with Jesus and grow in their faith. So if you played that prayer this morning and decided to follow Jesus and get around some people that are gonna help you grow in your faith, join a connect group, um, you know, be part of the family, speak to your leaders, speak to your pastors and then work out and ask them a question, you know, how can I grow in my faith? How can I, um, you know, grow closer to Jesus?